Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less. This is a show about the NBA with a Phoenix Suns focus. My name is Max McCauley and I am joined as always by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, I know you live in the country of Igorstan, but how are you doing otherwise? I'm doing okay, Max. Last night was a, a bit of a rough one, but I never really get to ask you. How, how are you feeling after, I guess, the whole weekend and last night's events, Max? Oh, that, that's nice of you to ask uh, how I'm doing. Um, I'm doing fine. I wasn't doing so good last night. If you follow me on Twitter, you would have seen that. But I've, I've cooled down a little bit. <laughs> We're going to talk about it, but I've cooled down, David. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to delving into, into that one and, and some other stuff on today's episode, Max. Yeah, so today we uh, we actually have three segments, even though we normally only have two. It's because we, we weren't planning on talking about the most recent Suns game because, you know, get a little tedious talk about every single 20-point blowout, but the Boston game necessitates talking because there was some, some stuff that happened. Uh, so we'll go into that, then we're going to move on to kind of a segment I'm pretty excited about, David. We're going we're gonna to jump into the GM shoes, into James Jones's shoes, I guess, is the interim GM, and we're going to talk about what we would do to fix this team because I think everyone agrees that this team is broken. If you don't agree with that, I'm not sure what you're watching. So I think we, we all kind of disagree on how to fix it, but we all, we all agree it needs to be fixed. So we're going to jump in and, and try to do that. And then we're going to finish up with some 2019 NBA draft talk, which it's been billed as sort of a boring draft, David, but I don't know. I watched Duke the other night. I don't think this is going to be a boring draft. Yeah, we'll get into that at the end of the episode. It's maybe a shallow draft, but yep. it's far from boring. And there's some pretty interesting guys uh, at the very top. Uh, obviously, a couple of our regular segments thrown in there amongst it all, Max. And yeah, I'm excited to get into this one too. But before we do, we'll go over the week that was. So we actually won a game, Max. It's hard to remember, but uh, <laughs> since we last recorded, we beat Memphis 102 to 100. We then obviously had the very disappointing loss to Brooklyn 82 104 before the most recent loss in overtime to Boston 109. 116. That puts us at two at nine at the moment, Max. Uh, last in the division, last in the conference, but not last in the league, thank God. Thanks to a couple of other pretty god-awful teams. But not too much other news going on at the moment, Max, and th- this is where we normally touch on that sort of stuff. So as you said, we thought we'd maybe jump into the Boston game and, and get a few things off our chest. Yeah, I have a, uh, that's a good way to put it. I have a few things to get off my chest, David. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start with, this is probably what bothers me the most, and I think it's just judging based on who I, who I read and who I look at it on Twitter, what bothered most people the most, and that's that there, it's really hard to explain why, if you're going to have an offense that's just Devin Booker isos for the entire stretch and overtime, which, don't get me wrong, I think is maybe your best bet against a defense as good as Boston because if you try to do Igor's pass-it-around thing, you're just going to commit turnovers. 
But but if you're going to do that, why the hell is Isaiah Cannon on the floor and not Mikel Bridges? What is he doing for you as the off-ball guy that Bridges can't do much better? Especially considering the fact that Cannon had played just an enormous amount of minutes. Like, you think going into overtime, you're like, all right, he played too much. Let's put Mikel in. Or even on the last possession, when you need to make a stop, you put Mikel in. David, do you have the defense for this, or do you think this is a, an Igor mistake? It's definitely an Igor mistake, and it probably wasn't the only one, if we're being perfectly honest, uh, by him or you know other guys on the team. It was a collective effort. I think Booker said it best. To, to lose the game from that position, a lot of things have to go wrong, and I think a lot of things did. Uh, I think your point is probably the biggest one that went wrong. And as you said, uh, the one that a lot of people were questioning after the game was through. Uh, We've heard from Igor, you know, his kind of response, I suppose, was that he wanted to go with, you know, who got them in that position, which is, you know, I commented on that. It's pretty typical coach talk. You kind of expect that from head coaches from time to time. It's old foggy coach talk. It is, and it doesn't make it the right call. The thing that I really... You know, and I haven't brought this up before. The, the thing that I really thought of was uh, Brad Stevens's decision to make uh, Marcus Smart the starter in the second half, and um, you know how that is in contrast to Igor refusing to you know switch something up. I I mean, you know what? I I kind of sympathise with what he was saying down the stretch of regulation, even though I don't necessarily agree with it. I think what you said about you know switching, say Bridges in for Kane, and makes a hell of a lot of sense. Uh, particularly if, you know, you're just going to run Devin Booker ISO, which they, you know, mostly did. But, you know, Stevens having the courage to make that kind of decision at the start of the second half to change something up, I I would have liked to have seen Igor change the, I guess, the starting lineup for the start of overtime up uh, if he was hell-bent on finishing the game in regulation with the guys that got them there, as he said, Max. And that's kind of what scares me so much about this, is that, if I had thought that Igor thought that Cannon was the best player for the spot, then I wouldn't be so concerned. But I don't think that at all. I mean, less than a week ago, we had him after the Grizzlies game saying that Mikel Bridges is going to be playing in all the important spots down the stretch. Like, he was on record saying that. And it almost makes me think that, like, I don't want to say that he froze in the moment or something like that, but I, I just, I, I kind of feel like... In game, he's getting maybe a little bit overwhelmed. I think that he's probably looking back on these tape uh, of these games and thinking the same things we are. Like, oh my god, how did I not do this, this, and this? And you know, sometimes I think we overrate or maybe we underestimate how difficult it is to not not just watch on your TV on your couch and you know make these calls, but just be in the moment. You know, you're you've got twenty thousand people watching you. Well, not not at Suns games, but you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, and you're, you know, there's a lot of pressure, and I, I think it's harder to make these these calls. But but here's the thing: that's what NBA head coaches have to do. That's why you're getting paid to be an NBA head coach. That's why there's only 30 of you. You got to be able to do that. And I'm not saying Eor can't do it, but I'm saying right now it's he's not good at it yet. And I'm not, you know, it's going to take some time. Yeah, it, it's a clear mistake. I guess the only thing I would say in response to that is almost every time we've criticized Eagle for something, he's come back with you know, something that was more along the lines of what we were expecting. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think he'd probably watch that game back and recognize a couple of uh, mistakes that he made. It's always tricky. You know, I was kind of commenting after the game that I hoped that he'd, you know, come out and just be strong and put that game on him and we could probably move on from it. He, he didn't do that for whatever reason. You know, we've kept hearing comments about what they're 
defensive coverage towards the end of that uh, regulation possession was supposed to be, which has kind of dragged it on a little bit instead of just putting an end to it. But yeah, it's concerning, but I'm sure he's going to learn from it. You know, the positive for me, Max, is that things were really clicking for three quarters and that got us in that position in the first place. And don't want to dwell on individual mistakes too much when the first three quarters of the game, as I said, were actually a real step in the right direction from where this team had come from. Yeah, no doubt. The energy level, the effort level, those things were much better, which is nice to see because the players were saying that after the Nets game. And it's good to see that they're not just saying these things. They do care and they are, they are trying to follow up on them. So I want to get in a little bit more on what you just briefly touched on there, which is sort of Igor's explanation for, I think in particular, the, the last play of regulation. So there's kind of, it was a miscommunication, it sounds like it. Igor is saying that the, the plan there was to foul, which is like... In my opinion, the obvious thing to do, considering Boston had no timeouts left. So if you foul them there, they shoot two free throws. You know, no matter what, they they probably have to miss second free throw because if you if you make both and the Suns get the ball, you you know go down the other side of the court, you make one or two. It doesn't really matter because even on the rebound, they don't have a timeout, so they have to go the full length of the court. Like that's a you know a super low percentage chance to to score. Yeah. So I think I think you have to foul there. And Igor's saying that he told them to foul, or at least that that was the plan. Because another thing is, <laughs> I'm not convinced Igor was in charge of that last play, because when they showed it on Fox Sports, it was just Joe Pronti talking to the guys. So, But Aiton, Cannon, and Booker all said that the plan only was to switch. There was no plan to foul. And I saw a good point made on Twitter that there's really no good explanations for what happened here. Either the players ignored Igor, the players are too dumb to listen to what Igor said, or Igor just like couldn't communicate it. And none of those things are, or Igor's lying. And none of those four things are good. Like it's all bad, and we got to figure out a way to like, clear the communication up. Because if, if we can't get simple instructions across, like you need to foul in the situation, like how are you supposed to run your team? Yeah, I think it's a good point, Max. And I think we've seen a, a few more quotes today uh, in reference to that. And uh, probably the clearest thing or the clearest indication that I saw from Igor was that maybe he wasn't strong enough on that directive. I think they were a little worried of maybe failing someone as crafty as Kyrie, uh, you know, going up for three on that possession. So I think, you know, he made the direct instruction or Prunty made the direct instruction to switch everything. And then they also happened to throw in there that they should be fouling if someone's got their back to the basket. They probably didn't put enough emphasis as they should have on that second instruction. And that seems to be what has led to this miscommunication. There's a few things with, I guess, negatives that we've picked out of Igor through 10 games where, you know, I'm seeing that he's perhaps coaching the team as if it's a bunch of vets that he's used to, you know, maybe that Utah team where he was giving instructions at times, or whether it was his national team experience where he had, you know, a very clear unit together that were used to playing to each other. And I think he's made a few mistakes there where he's not realizing the guys that he's coaching here um, and that he probably needs to be a bit clearer with them. And so that would be my explanation for that. And then with the Kane and stuff, I think you know, maybe there was a mistake made there that he wanted a secondary playmaker on the floor. But as you said, if they're then just going to run 
Devin Booker ISO all the time, that doesn't match up. So I think, you know, rewatching the game, I think that maybe I'm just trying to put myself in Igor's shoes and, and inside his head. I think that may have been the justification in his mind, but then what we saw on the court just didn't match up with that. But should we maybe talk about a couple of positives to finish recapping the Boston game, Max? I think a, a big positive was that Rashawn Holmes looked really, really good to me. Agreed. I don't know if that's just relative to the big man performances we're getting. But uh, he looked good, at least to my eye. Uh, I thought he played pretty solid defense. I thought he looked active and springy. I think that he's going to be fitting in pretty well to that backup big role behind Aiton. In fact, I mean, I know it's impossible to do this if you're Igor or kind of anyone, but they probably should have benched Aiton down the stretch for Holmes because Aiton wasn't part of the offense, and Holmes is better than Aiton at defense right now. So it probably would have made more sense just to put Holmes in there, but I know they can't do it. So I thought that was a pretty big positive. Uh, the other positive is that, you know, Devin Booker is a fucking superhero. I mean, he's insane. Uh, I think after the game, uh, I, I don't know if you saw Kyrie interviewed, but Kyrie was, you know, just kind of talking about the game. and like, But then as soon as he like, brought up Devin Booker, like, his eyes light up and he goes, that guy's like a supreme, supreme talent, I think is what he said. Like, he just lit up. Kyrie knows. Like, Booker is just, he's incredible. Just everything you want out of a superstar. He, he sort of got tired in overtime. He played a jillion minutes in a row. Uh, he also, one more criticism on Booker is on that last play where they were instructed to switch, which everyone did say they were instructed to switch. Like, they definitely were supposed to switch. Booker might not know what switch means <laughs> because he didn't switch. So uh, that, that is one criticism, but I don't know, David, what do you think? It's a nice juxtaposition between the two of those. Kyrie clearly carried particularly through their early struggles and then got hot late, but then could count on some of his other guys uh, when, you know, the Suns really pressed on him. Conversely to that, uh, we definitely counted on on Booker to keep us in the game and, and really relied solely on him down the stretch. And at some point he gave way and he, he couldn't keep hitting buckets. So uh, that was a, you know, a clear black and white scenario with the, with the two of those guys. But, you know, my other positive would be TJ Warren. He had 29 points on oh, yeah. 9 of 17. Uh, he's now 15 of 30 on three watch here, Max, which is just <laughs> ridiculous. He only had the one assist, but it was a really nice drop off to Aiton early on in the game, which kind of, you know, made my eyes light up. And probably my only other thing that I would say on him that I, I need to get off my chest here, Max, is Marcus Morris should have been tossed for that flagrant and we may not be talking about a loss right now. I know that's a bit of an excuse, but that is a clear sign to me that result matters rather than intent when they're reviewing those things on the video because that was a guy who literally hunted the guy down to foul him from behind. Could have ended in a really nasty injury, and if, if that's not a flagrant two, I don't know what is in the NBA. Yeah, you're preaching to the choir here. I hate how much... Not even just NBA. This happens in every sport. The results-based analysis on these kind of things... That just shouldn't be the way you look at it. It should be intent. It's, just, it's annoying, and I agree with you. I thought the Morris thing was insane, and he should have been tossed. Uh, and then I can't believe I forgot to mention TJ. You're so right. He was incredibly good, particularly in the first half. He, he continued to be decent, but the first half he was like nuclear. I can't believe how... David, the shooting is not just real. I'm starting to think he's just like a really good shooter now. He hit a couple of tough ones. There was that one in the corner with a guy right in his face, and he wanted to shoot that. And then there was another one that I highlighted with a, a Devin Booker assist, which, 
you know, anyone listening who hasn't seen it can go and look at, you know, most of Devin Booker's assists on our Twitter account. But, you know, he was just walked straight into a three from Booker, hit it like it was nothing. It's just a completely different TJ. And, you know, when he's like that, Max, particularly without a, a, a starting caliber point guard on this team, which, you know, we might get to in a minute with our uh, main section for this episode, he makes such a difference because we've really struggled to get into the teeth of a defense. And TJ was really doing that early. And that's where all those open threes come from. And lo and behold, guys start hitting shots and everything's fun for a little while there, Max. Okay, before we move on, I got to I gotta bring this up. I, I, I have a thought on Igor. I'm not saying that this is what he is. But I want to ask you what you think the chances are that this is the case, okay? I think I know what's coming. You might. We'll see. This happens more in the NFL, but it's also an NBA thing. Sometimes there are guys who are just overqualified to be assistant coaches. Like, they're really, really good at being assistant coaches, whether it be an assistant offensive coach or an assistant defensive coach in the NFL. It's the offensive coordinator or the defensive coordinator. And they're just they're so insanely good at it. And like you want to give them a head coaching job because they deserve it from that aspect. But once they get into the head coaching role, they just whatever it is that's different between being an offensive coordinator and being a head coach, like they just don't have whatever that extra thing is you need. And they're just better off just being the best offensive coordinator in the league or whatever. So my question is for you, what are the chances that's what Igor is? He's just an overqualified, super good offensive coach who probably doesn't have whatever it takes to be an NBA head coach. I think there's a good chance. I think anytime you hire a rookie coach, that's one of the things that you're you know, waiting to see. Probably my caveat to that would be, I, I really hope that they give him time and give him a decent NBA roster at some point in this contract mm-hmm. to prove whether that's true or not. I, I think judging him on what he currently has and what he's credentials and M's as an NBA coach are would be terribly unfair on him if I'm being honest and you know we we can't forget he's won a European title as a head coach and you know that's tournament play but you've got to qualify he was the coach of that team for quite a few years uh, so he does have credentials as a head coach. It may not be in the NBA, and I, I know that's what you're alluding to. It's a different kind of beast, but I, I don't think we can rule it out. But I also don't think we can rule out him becoming a very good coach in the NBA. And I might have something on that later in our Did You Know segment, Max. Ah, I like the tease. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's far too early. They shouldn't fire him. That would be insane to fire him. It just seems like something that's starting to develop in my mind as a possibility. I just kind of like the early indications are pointing that way. And you make a good point when you bring up his, his coaching uh, of national teams. The only counter, and you sort of touch on this, is that the NBA is kind of a different beast because you're managing these egos of these players who are playing for contracts. It's a little easier, I think, than you know managing players who are there for the country and want to be there and are, are, are actively listening to you because... I'm not convinced all the players are actively listening to Igor. But that's enough of that. Unless you want to respond, we can move on to the GM stuff. I think the GM stuff will uh, tie in very nicely with that kind of conversation, Max. So I think we can dive straight into that. All right, let's do it. So here's how we're going to handle this. We're going to break this into four stages, David. We're going we're gonna to figure out what we would do like immediately. Like if we took over as GM, what we would do to fix the team now. We're going to do sort of like a trade deadline. Like what would we would do for the rest of the season. Uh, we're going to do a kind of a free agency time fix. We're going to skip the draft because we're going to go into the draft later. But we're going to do kind of like a, I don't know, like this summer sort of fix. And then we're going to talk about kind of what our plan would be if we were the GMs going forwards. David, why don't you start us off with what you would do if you were made the GM 
right now. Yeah, as you said, Max, it's an interesting exercise to look into. Uh, the Suns kind of gift us this segment, really, with their current GM situation. You know, they don't really have a permanent GM. So, you know, we're kind of looking at it as, as if we've been hired. I'm kind of calling my, my whole four stages here, Operation Make Devin Booker Happy. Uh, <laughs> you'll, you'll see a key theme through all my four sections around our star player. But as far as immediate change goes, I'm calling that one, go get a point guard. Uh, I'm sure anyone who has followed me on Twitter or through this pod uh, realizes that that is no surprise, but I'm putting that on the agenda right away. I'm giving December 15, which is when uh, the kind of unofficial opening of the trade period is because, you know, everyone who was signed to free agent contracts in the off season can be traded and therefore things kind of just open up a little bit, Max. Uh, so I'm kind of putting that as the, the absolute latest deadline. I think you put the Milwaukee pick on the table. You probably also put the Phoenix pick uh, as long as it's top five protected. And, and we'll get to that at the end of the episode with our draft stuff and, and why I would protect it to top five. And I would go and get a point guard, Max. So do you have any particular names in mind? I do. I, I'm not going to dive into them too much because they're all guys we've kind of discussed before. And it's not really what this section is about. Sure. But I, I will say that it, I'm not talking... Uh, the John Wall types, you know, he's on my notes here, like definitely not John Wall. That's not what I'm saying. I'm looking around the league at guys with kind of one year left on their contract, but that you might also be interested as, as backups going forward. You know, if you're giving up a first round pick, whilst it is a bit of an emergency situation and you, you have to give something to get something, Max, you'd kind of hope that if everything goes well, you might be able to, you know, use their bird rights or, or just use their past few months enjoying with the team that, that they might want to come back. So, you know, you're looking at guys like Tyus Jones in Minnesota, maybe Patrick Beverly, TJ McConnell in Philly is someone that, you know, keeps coming up, D'Angelo Russell, DeLon Wright, and Teodosic uh, with the Clippers. But just to round that point out, Max, it, I'm really talking about the flow-on effect here of, of what getting a point guard would do for this team immediately. I think straight away you move Kane into the backup point guard position. That's kind of what he's been his entire career is a, a kind of borderline backup guy. And uh, that would mean that you don't have to play a Kobo, who I think you and I both agree is just simply not ready to be playing kind of regular minutes in the NBA at the moment. Uh, as we touched on before, uh, it, it gives Igor a chance. You know, it, things are looking pretty dire at the moment at, at stages, but it, it really gives him a chance to set this team up, uh, which ties straight into, you know, what it could do for both Devin Booker and Aiton. I think down the stretch in games, it, it's going to release Booker, make him even more dangerous. And, you know, plenty of people have touched on how uh, hard it is to get Aiton involved in the game at times. You know, he's got chemistry with Booker, Jackson, doesn't seem to really have great chemistry with Kanan at all on kind of pick and roll or, or entry passes. So um, I think you'd be looking for a pretty immediate lift there. Uh, I think it makes all the, the role players better. We've said that they've all kind of been struggling because, you know, they're all kind of, I guess, essentially being asked to do more than they're capable of, Max. And, you know, I think it's the easiest one decision move, which ties into, I'll kind of rattle off a few things that you'd be expecting to, to kind of improve straight away here. So the Suns are currently 29th in turnovers, also 29th in opposition points off turnovers, 29th in points in the paint, which is kind of, you know, maybe an Aiton thing, but as I think James Jones discussed, it is a bit of a point of attack thing with the guards as well. We're currently uh, 29th points off opposition turnovers. We're 26th 
in fast break points ourselves. I, I think you and I have talked about it quite a bit privately that Kanan is, is really struggling to, to just run a fast break. He, he doesn't seem to have that zip or, or nous to, to kind of get us an easy bucket. We're kind of really fighting hard to score, Max. Uh, and we're 30th for opposition fast break points. So, you know, I've, I've rattled off quite a bit there, Max, but, you know, that's that's my immediate change. <laughs> You've thought about this, haven't you? <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you're gonna, I'm going to get to a point guard in a second. Mine's not a point guard right away, just because I don't think that we're going to be able to trade for a point guard right away, because I think we probably would have if we if we had a chance. I mean, you said you'd put the, the our pick top five protector on the table. That would probably get the attention of some teams, especially if it's like for McConnell. That probably happens, but I don't think that's what you meant. <laughs> okay, so what I would do is I would immediately change the rotation. I don't think anybody who follows me on Twitter would be surprised to hear me say that. <laughs> First thing I would do, Josh Jackson sits for two to three games. He's just out. Sorry, you're sitting, Josh. You're, you're, you're watching. You're learning. This is your timeout. I'm mad at you. You're not playing well. You're not doing what I want. You're sitting down for two to three games. Uh, when he comes back, my starting lineup is Booker, Jackson, Mikel, Ariza, and Aiden. I want to put Jackson in a super limited role. He's going to play defense. And Jackson, if you're not playing defense, you're not playing anymore. You're out. He's going to play defense. He's going to shoot when he's open. If he shoots a step back, he's out. If he takes a stupid drive, he's out. Jackson needs to be rebuilt, in my opinion. Uh, I think he's was basically wasted by last year. It, it just kind of ruined him. Summer League was maybe even worse. And the start of the season was just, I don't know if it was just continued green light or if he just doesn't know how to play any other way. Igor's obviously now just starting to bench him, but Jackson needs like a whole rehabilitation tour because he is a disaster right now, to put it lightly. And I think that one of my primary goals would be to rehabilitate Jackson's value because a number four pick from last year being totally worthless at this stage is not good. Uh, so in addition to the starting lineup, I'd have TJ run the bench unit. TJ deserves to start, but TJ, sorry, we need you on the bench because you're you just you're our only guy who can reliably create buckets. Who's not named Devin Booker, so you got to be on the bench unit. I'd have Melton with him. Uh, maybe Kane and get some minutes, but primarily Melton because he plays defense and he can shoot a little bit. I'd have Rashawn Holmes with a sizable role because Rashawn Holmes is good. Bender gets in over Anderson. I understand that we may have given Anderson a promise, but guess what? I wasn't there at the time. This is new Max GM, and uh, I'm not giving Anderson any minutes. <laughs> he gets zero minutes. And I'm. Do you have a signed contract, Anderson? Because ah. if not, sorry, but uh, promise broken. I don't see it on paper, Ryan. <laughs> and then Okobo. I love Okobo. I think he's going to be a good sixth man, but he goes to the G League because I don't think he's ready yet. Uh, but yeah, that's how I would change the rotation. David, what do you do going forward? This is funny. I thought this might happen. I reckon we've kind of flipped one and two around a little bit, and it just kind of expresses where we see this team mm-hmm. uh, or, or how we would both differently approach this team, I guess, for the very short term and, and then for the rest of the season. But going into my remainder of 2018-19 season, I'm calling that find out what you've got. So this would kind of, you know, I'd roll with the above, try and get wins, try and boost morale, Hope that the players really buy into what Igor has been preaching because the results start to come to fruition with a new point guard running the team and and everyone just clicking a little bit more. And then you kind of hit the all-star break, Max, and there's you know about 23 games, I think, after the all-star break for the Suns. And that's where you know, you've hopefully showed Booker and the team the direction that they're going in. But then you kind of really want to see what you've got, Max. So We'll be going into year one of of Booker's extension the following season, and that's where 
you know, it's going to start to become crunch time. I've seen a few people mention that Booker might already demand a trade. I think that's just a little bit silly. He's got essentially no leverage. He hasn't even started his extension yet. Yeah, I think we've at least got a few years to to please Booker, and, and that's what my whole kind of philosophy here is building around. So, you know, we're, we're kind of looking at a do-over next offseason, and you know, I think a lot of the things that we're seeing with what's happening early on in this season, we need to avoid next season. And a lot of that comes down to roster spots. So we've just got too many young guys on this team. And if you're looking at having a team that you want to compete for the playoffs, you're going to have to bring in a lot of veteran type players to help this young core. So, you know, I'm starting a Kobo or Melton in the back half of the season to, to see what you've got there. You don't want any Kanan or Anderson or Jamal Crawford hopefully thank god you know I'm, I'm testing Rashawn Holmes and Jackson as you said you know really uh, making them prove that they're going to be part of the core going forward definitely starting Mikhail Bridges you know limiting Ariza's minutes and like you said in section one I, I, he probably doesn't deserve it but I, I'm putting TJ back to six man and, and see whether that's a role that you know he can really thrive in going forward because I think that's his role on a, on a good team max yeah I think we both agree on that. So yeah, you're right. We are just kind of flipping our first and second here because my my thing is that I think once December 15 hits, I think that's when we start shopping Ariza for a point guard. Interesting. So I I think of these teams that are contenders, this the teams that are contenders like the Pacers and like the Clippers and these teams that have like extra point guards but are trying to win. I don't think they're so interested in the Milwaukee pick. I think they would be really interested in Trevor Ariza, though. So I think you could kind of flip him for, like, a Corey Joseph. That's a really good point, Max. Yeah, I think you could flip him for a Corey Joseph. Or uh, imagine Shea Gilders-Alexander takes over. At that point, like Patrick Beverly, Trevor Ariza might be something that the Clippers are interested in. I mean, obviously, the contracts don't match. You'd have to throw a little more in there. But yeah. I think that's the way you can kind of get yourself a veteran point guard on December 15th. And at that point, I'll change my rotation around. Well, I'll put the point guard in the starting lineup because I, I do agree with you that this team needs like a real point guard really badly. And I, I think the temporary solution, if we can't find one, is just to put Booker there and put our best players around him. But sooner rather than later, this team needs to get a point guard because otherwise they're, they're just going to waste what they have. I mean, like you said, you can't really have a real NBA team without a point guard. Igor's offense is... I, I do believe Igor's like a brilliant offensive mind. And I think that his he's being uh, undercut badly, hamstrung by the fact that he doesn't have an NBA point guard in his team. I mean, I think most offensive quote-unquote geniuses would be hamstrung by not having a point guard. So it'd be great to see them get that. Yeah. So I think my ultimate dream goal here would be that Utah, like Exum explodes, which I don't think is going to happen. He doesn't look good. But if Exum exploded, a Riza for Rubio. Ricky Rubio would just be ideal. People ideal. people are going to think that we talk a hell of a lot in preparation before our pods uh, with how much this is matching up, Max, with different sections because uh, I may be touching on a certain Ricky Rubio uh, in my section three here, Max. So <laughs> obviously, we talk quite a lot about the Suns and, and a lot of ideas blend in, but really funny how this has worked out. I think you make a great point. I just want to touch on that. You know, With me looking for immediate change with going and getting a point guard, I, as you mentioned, I think the biggest restriction to that is getting someone to bite on what we're willing to offer. I think your point of, of Trevor Ariza's contract 
really makes a hell of a lot of sense, both from looking at contenders who may want Ariza as a player, and then, you know, looking at his salary for matching purposes. You know, with Tyson Chandler going, we've we've kind of lost that contract to mm, throw point. after a, a George Hill or, or someone like that, because basically makes it impossible with, you know, all of our valuable contracts left are either guys we don't want to really get rid of, or, you know, definitely guys that no one's going to take, case in point, Ryan Anderson. So that's a really good point by you, Max. Uh, I guess I'm just a little bit worried about it dragging on that long. You know, obviously I put December 15 as my absolute latest deadline. You've kind of got it as your, your starting point here. So maybe there is a little bit of crossover between us two, the two of us there, if it happens. Yeah, well, so I think I think the reason why that is, is I think you're, you've always been a little bit lower on Booker being the point guard than I am, right? Yeah, and I think the way that you talk about it is, you know, potentially if the the point guard situation is just off the table in terms of getting someone, I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. You know, I just off the back of, you know, illustrating from the Boston game, we now seven plays or less video on Twitter that, you know, the whole team revolved around Devin Booker and his playmaking Mm -hmm. in that first half, Max, and it kind of stopped when he stopped playmaking. So, you know, I think whilst I am lower on you, I definitely agree that on this current roster, if you're going to change things around and look for a bit of a circuit breaker, I think Booker moving to point guard is definitely the move that would need to be made. So let's go ahead and jump into the next part of this, right? Which I guess is kind of like not the long-term future, but the immediate future. And it's tough because a lot's going to depend on where this team finishes and like kind of what happens in the draft. Because, you know, if as we touch on later, if they get Zion Williamson or RJ Barrett, it's going to affect their free agency plans. But... For me, it's like, I just, I don't want them to get another Tyson Chandler, another Jared Dudley, another uh, Trevor Ariza. I don't want a guy who's like old and just trying to catch the money. Agreed. I I think they need to give like a real contract to somebody who's actually good. I think that's like what they really need to do. And someone who like been on good teams, fits the team well. And I, for me, we've talked about this guy before. If we don't end up getting some sort of power forward in the draft or whatever, give me Nikola Mirotic. I think Nicole Miritich is one of the top 40 best players in the entire NBA right now. He's great on offense and defense. He'd be perfect next to Aiton because he spreads the floor and he, as I said, plays defense. He's tough. He's intense. He's just a good player. That guy, I have no fear that he would come to this team and not be good. He's just a good basketball player. You'll never guess the the second guy on my list, Max. I probably mentioned him and his initials might be RR. <laughs> yep, so I've got two guys here. I've kind of said that, as I said before, the, the offseason is, is kind of the 2017-18 offseason do-over. Uh, the Suns will, will probably have more money to play with than they did last season. And we should note that that kind of restricted them a little bit. You know, we were both fans of the Ariza signing at the time, particularly with what other options were available. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm totally negative already on what the Suns did last offseason. Well, so but... can I can I jump in there? Because I, I, we were both positive, you're right. And one of the reasons why is because we wanted to evaluate what's on this roster and like, spin big in 2019. And we've evaluated, and I think we're, we're ready to find out what we need. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I'm kind of saying hopefully by the off season with my kind of stage one and two here, you know, you're kind of looking at having a pretty solid starting core of Booker, Bridges, and Aiton. And then you've kind of got, hopefully, best case scenario, at least a couple of guys ready to come off the bench in TJ, maybe Josh Jackson, you know, a couple of the rookies or, or sophomores are also showing that they can be counted on as role players off the bench. But, you know, there's still a few holes there, Max. There's definite point guard and, and power forward needs probably in the starting lineup. 
Uh, I'm not going to delve into them too much because you've already uh, mentioned both of them as my top targets, and that would be Nikola Mirotic and Ricky Rubio. I think both of those guys really slot in uh, from an age standpoint. I think what you said before, you don't want to go too old. I think both of those guys are around the age you're looking for to bring in some playing vets uh, that can actually contribute to the team. You know, and we'll have anywhere between 27 and, and 37 mil in space next year, depending on what they do with Ryan Anderson's contract. So I think you can probably go and get both of those guys and even still have a little bit of money left over to, you know, fill in some of the gaps. As I said before, if you're looking to really be a playoff team next season with Devin Booker and, and Aiton, you're kind of going to need a good handful of vets that just really fill the gaps in around them. So a guy like Danny Green is, you know, someone that when all the money's spent might be sitting there that, you know, bring defense, shooting, and don't chase the big fish or, or restricted free agents. Just, you know, really target the guys that you need and, and build out a, a solid roster for hopefully Igor to work with, Max. Let's get to the future and the way I kind of look at this is like you can't predict like the far far future so it's kind of trying to analyze what you think you have now that will matter in the future there's so many variables here Max and I know we're making it sound you know really simple but particularly this last section around you know a couple of years from now and and the future core that there's so many things that could happen but you know in an ideal world Max where are you looking so I'm just kind of looking at what we have in the roster Devin Booker is obviously the dude I think no one's no one's debating that at this point. He's not only showing incredible scoring prowess, which we know he had, he's also starting to show the passing thing. Is he the next James Harden? I'm not going to say he's the next James Harden, but he's got a chance to be the next James Harden. And if he is, that's that's the guy you're building around. He's showing signs. He's showing signs. He's showing signs. Aiton, you drafted number one overall. He's obviously somebody that you're putting in your plans. I think there's been very encouraging things about him. I think there's been very discouraging things about him. So I think it remains to be seen. But I mean, at this point, obviously, you're still building around him. There's there's really no way you're not. And then I think the only other person I'm considering in this thing is Mikael Bridges, who I'm not like putting in as a definite piece by any means. But I mean, David, what do you think? Has, has Mikael Bridges been like the most promising young prospect the Suns have had other than Booker and Aiton in the past five years? Easily, like without a doubt. You know, when I think of Mikael... Obviously, the on-court product is very encouraging, but you can't look over what the Suns gave up for Mikhail. You know, a lot of people obviously at the time thought it was a massive reach, but, you know, to me, it's done now. And the way I look at it is that they just had incredible trust in what this guy was going to become. So when you're thinking about throwing him in to trades and things like that and and attaching another first-round pick with him to maybe go get a guy, the realistic person in me then kind of says, well, hang on a minute, that's three first-round draft picks because that's what we gave up for Mikhail. So, you know, I don't think we're getting rid of him anytime soon, Max. I think it's very, very clear the way this franchise thinks about that player. Yeah, I agree, and I'm with him for the most part. He's shown a lot on defense, which is obviously key on this team. Uh, The Duke can obviously shoot. The key to him being like a third best player on a really good team is whether he's going to be able to do a little bit of the you know kind of secondary playmaking. Like it, it, when there's a closeout on him uh, in the corner, is he going to be able to take you know a couple dribbles, pull up, or a couple dribbles past somebody on the move? That's going to be kind of like the next step for him. But I think that his his floor at this point is going to be a really good three and D player. Like he's already that I think. Like if you look at the net ratings on him and like it's it's everything about him. He's already I think a good three and D player in the NBA. I don't know why Igor's not fucking playing him. It's not hard to stand out on defense on this team, Max, and he he's definitely done that. True. Uh, I did find there was an interesting quote. You know, made a note on his you know point of attack or his kind of 
denying the lane defense, which ever since I saw that quote, I've tried to take a, a special notice in that. And it is lacking a little bit, but he is a rookie and he's still showing great defense that a lot of other guys aren't on the team. But there's obviously that's one area that they've asked him to to focus on and, and work on. And, and I know a couple of smart draft people took that as a, a potential negative in his game, being able to keep in front of guys in the NBA. So that's something to watch for people going forward. But all I'd touch on there is... I think whilst I peg him as as a kind of clear third starter on this team, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's the clear third best player in the core going forward. I just think that, you know, particularly James Jones, it sounds like, really values a player like that in the starting unit. It doesn't necessarily mean he's the third best guy, as I said, but, you know, he's just that 3 and D guy that makes winning plays uh, and kind of has that winning background to him, and that's why they value him so much, Max. Yeah, I kind of think he's like what James Jones wished he was in the NBA. Definitely. That's what James Jones was going for and just never could get there. Yes, 100%. <laughs> okay, anything else on the future? Well, all I'd say, just to kind of round it out, Max, is that you know, you've got to buy into Booker and Aiton being your future at this point if you're the GM. Kind of everything has to build around them. So they both kind of create pretty obvious needs next to them at, at point guard and power forward due to, you know, their own weaknesses. So on one hand, that kind of makes the job really easy because you know, you know the kind of guys that you need to pair next to them in the backcourt and the front court, But it also makes it really hard, Max, because those players with those skills are, are actually quite hard to find. I think that's what we're going to find going forward. So, you know, you've, you've got to keep your eye out and, and put a premium on those things that you're really looking for next to Booker and Aiden. And then as we'll get into in, in just a second, they're going to have a high draft pick in this draft unless they screw it up and, and trade it. So if they get one of these crazy guys, then that's going to kind of change the entire calculus. So that's why we can't really uh, to- totally you know, say that the future is going to be because it could change very, very quickly. And they might need an enforcer, Max. Good teams always need an enforcer. And, and I'm kind of seeing that with these two guys. I'm not sure if Aiton's going to be Booker's enforcer. So, you know, they, they might need a, a, a tough guy in that starting lineup with them, Max. We'll get into this in a little bit, but I think that... Uh, the top two guys in that draft, to me, are definitely enforcers. David, let's get into Did You Know. All right, Max, it's safe to say this season hasn't quite gone to plan so far, and we've just finished talking about how we would try and fix it if we were in charge. But before we dive into the 2019 draft class, as you said, I've got a couple of Sun stories that may offer a little bit of hope for the rest of the season. So Max, did you know this season's start of 2-9 is the worst start to a season for the franchise since the 96-97 season? Can you tell me what the Suns' record through 11 games was in that season, Max. Well, I mean, I don't have a whole lot of choices here, do I? So it's, you know, what's worse than 2 and 9? I guess it's either 1 and 10 or 0 and 11. I'll go 1 and 10. It was 0 and 11. You chose the wrong one. <laughs> in fact, it took until the 14th game for the Suns to pick up their first win of the season, Max. You then have to go back another decade to find a start as rough as this season with the 85-86 Suns starting 1 and 10, as you just guessed, through 11 games. Interestingly, both of those teams had four rookies on the main roster, the same as the current team has with Aiton, Bridges, Melton, and Okobo. While the 85-86 team turned things around a little bit, finishing with 32 wins on the season, it's the 96-97 team that has the far more interesting turnaround, Max. 
Of course, Cotton Fist Simmons resigned as head coach after an 0-8 start, which ended his third stint with Phoenix, actually, and an overall coaching record of 832 wins and 775 losses. I believe that still places him in the top 15 of the NBA's most winning coaches, Max. Danny Age took over the team, and the Suns rallied to a final record of 40-42 and 42 and amazingly made the playoffs. Now, speaking of rookies, Max, as I said, this team, like the one currently, had four rookies on the team. Can you think who might have been the most famous rookie on that 96-97 team? Um, Michael Finley. It was Steve Nash, drafted by the Suns with pick 15 and played 65 games and got two starts in his rookie season in Phoenix. But back to the team now, Nash was surrounded by the likes of Kevin Johnson, Wesley Person, Danny Manning, and Rex Chapman. He also started the year with Sam Cassell, Robert Horry, and as you just mentioned, Michael Finley, but ended it with Jason Kidd and Cedric Sabalas. It was those few in-season trades of guys going out and guys coming in, plus the coaching change that saw Phoenix break a couple of records, Max. They became the first NBA team to make the playoffs after a 10-plus losing streak to start the season. They also became the only team to record a 10-plus losing streak and a 10-plus winning streak in the same season. Eventually, the Suns lost in the first round of the playoffs 2-3 to Seattle, but what a wild roller coaster ride for the fans that season would have been. Now, I'm not suggesting this current team has that sort of a turnaround in them. Maybe the absolute best we could hope for is the 32 wins that the 85-86 team managed, Max. But I do suspect we might see some trades, as we alluded to before. And fingers crossed not, but maybe a possible coaching change as well to try and turn things around if this team keeps going downhill. So... I'll leave you and the listeners with this as a small caution when it comes to possibly changing coaches for the current Suns team. And as I teased a little earlier, Max, the 2018 Coach of the Year and runner-up were Dwayne Casey and Brad Stevens. Casey won 33 games in his first season. Brad Stevens won just 25. In 2017, a guy we know, Mike D'Antoni, won the award. In his first year with the Suns, he won the equivalent of 27 games for an 82-game season. 2016 was Steve Kerr, who of course won 67 games, which is ridiculous. And 2015's winner was Coach Bud, who started his career out with 38 wins. And then we get to 2014, Max, Greg Popovich. Pop also coached a short season in his first year. He won the equivalent of 21 games in his first season. And I believe if you look up reports and, and media from the time, was on the verge of getting fired. But the Spurs clearly made the right decision in holding on with Pop there. So that's all for Did You Know This Week. Go look up the 85-86 or the 96-97 season Suns fans. But for now, Max, we're going to assume things don't turn around all that great for the rest of the season, and therefore we're going to dive in a little early to some fun draft stuff. Thanks, David. For all those millennials out there, that's how you know that the Suns used to suck in the past too. It's not just now. <laughs> okay, so let's get into the 2019 NBA draft, which in my opinion does not suck, David. The way we're going to do this, we're going to go through the top five guys. We're going to kind of talk about them a little bit and then say our dream fits uh, team-wise in the NBA for each guy. 
And then you and I both have our own special guys we want to talk about after those guys. But David, do you want to throw out the first guy? Yeah, before I do that, Max, I think it's important to maybe throw out a few teams here. So when we start listing our perfect match for these guys, there's a little bit of context. So, you know, at the moment, the draft order is looking around about Cleveland, Phoenix, Washington, who might drop down, I would have thought, Chicago, Atlanta, Dallas. However, if it falls outside five, Atlanta get that pick too. Uh, We've got Minnesota, the Knicks, Orlando, and Houston, who, you know, may or may not rise up the board again. Teams that are looking better right now that might drop back, I think, might be Brooklyn and Detroit, Max. And keep an eye on Boston, who have Sacramento's pick, top one protected, Clippers pick, but uh, lottery protected, and Memphis's one to eight. So I'm going to throw this at you here, Max, to get an order going. I'm going to stipulate that the Three Duke guys have to be one to three, and then Narcia Little four and Bol Bol five. But how would you order the top three Duke guys? I know you watched the first full game last week of those guys. And what what are your initial thoughts? My initial thoughts are, oh my god, <laughs> what the hell? I've never seen a college team look like that. Uh, let's start with Zion Williamson because I think he's the headliner here. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing about Zion. People are worried about his ancillary skills, which, by the way, looked awesome in that game. His passing looked insane. His uh, his shooting. He had like a step back shot. He had threes. They all look fine, but even if he doesn't have that stuff, which I think he does, that dude just looks like such an overpowering athlete that it won't matter. I don't want to throw out too much hyperbole here, but I don't know if I've seen someone who looks like that athletically dominant since I watched like this high school tape of LeBron James in 2003. Like That's the kind of level of athletic beasts we're talking about here. And if he keeps showing that the whole season, he's going to be the undisputed number one pick. I don't think it'll be close. And not only that, I think he'll be like the most hyped up, like obvious number one since LeBron I mentioned in, in two thousand three. Yeah, I don't I don't love player comparisons, but you know, other than maybe Larry Johnson, LeBron is is the clear one for Zion here because of all the extra things that he's showing and the other one is Charles Barkley. Yes. But I'm just excited to see him play a whole year of college. I've, I've said that a few times because, you know, he looks like he's still going to be dominant at the NCAA level. But, you know, that was always the knock on him is he just kind of beating up on high school kids as this giant human. And, you know, what you just touched on there, he, his passing and shooting, that's the things that I'm going to be really watching out for because that's, you know, those things coming to the fore is what's going to, you know, make him a, a solidified number one pick here, Max. But who's your perfect match here? Team-wise. For me, I mean the team that I think would be the best fit. No one's going to be surprised when I say this because of my, you know, my love for this other player on this team. But just please just put Zion Williamson and Luka Doncic on the same team, please. Can we just have that? Because <laughs> that would just be the best thing that's ever happened. I, can you imagine watching Luka, his playmaking with Zion Williamson? Oh, my I God. Th- I thought that might be coming, and that was definitely one team that I looked at. And, and that trade overall would, would look ridiculous if they kept a top-five pick and, and managed to get mm-hmm. Zion and, and Luka together. But I've had my own fun with this one, Max. We just compared him to LeBron James. Uh, I just said before that at the moment, Cleveland have the number one pick in the draft if everything goes right. I think it would be hilarious if Zion Williamson, after LeBron James left Cleveland, goes back as the the new LeBron James. Can you imagine if after winning, like, what was it, like four number one picks in the past decade and a half, they win another <laughs> one in the Zion draft? Come yeah, that, I'm just having fun with it. It would be, uh, it would break NBA Twitter, that's for sure. All right, let's go on to RJ Barrett, who was my favorite of these guys over the summer. 
And, I mean, he scored 33 points on the two Dukes opening games, so it's not like he was a slouch or anything. Zion's <laughs> so ridiculous. So I'll go right into a player comparison for people who haven't seen him, which, by the way, if you haven't watched the Duke game against Kentucky yet, go watch it. Trust me, it's worth it. Especially if you're a Suns fan who's who's been watching some disappointing games recently. If you, if you need a cheer it up. It could be uh... fun to watch basketball. <laughs> but R.J. Barrett is, to me, it's he's Dwayne Wade... Not quite the the crazy athletic finisher type, although he's got that really long stride thing he gets to. But I think like a better playmaker. Uh, he's got legitimately great vision for like his size and his athleticism combo. I think he's like, I don't want to call him a point guard, but I think like he could be a primary initiator just because it was like overall force. And if you put him on the same team as Devin Booker, which by the way, oops, I just I just spoiled it. I have him with Phoenix. I think R.J. Barrett and Devin Booker together would be... That's You don't need a point guard at that point because those two would just be fearsome together. It'd be ridiculous to have those two in the same backcourt. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's my R.J. Barrett thing. Yeah, the the other comp I see is DeRozan with him. Not personally. Mm. The, yeah, I, I see that no get thrown around with him. You know, on the limited stuff that I've seen from him... I just don't see it. I think it's more of a measurables thing, and we'll get to that with some of these other guys who are hard to to comp to current players as well. You can kind of find guys that are similar in size and things, but stylistically, I don't see that at all. I don't know if it's the left-hand thing, but I actually see a lot of Ben Simmons in RJ Barrett Hmm. with, you know, obviously a bit more uh, willingness to shoot. If anything, if I had one knock on RJ Barrett right now, it's that he just likes to shoot a, a little too much, Max. Yeah, he does like to shoot. But he also, I agree with that, like the jump shot's not great, but the scoring around the rim and the ability to get to the rim is, I mean, so this is kind of a weird comparison, but for Suns fans, it'll make sense. Like, the way TJ Warren just puts the ball in the bucket when he's around the rim, like, no matter what, that's kind of RJ Barrett. The dude just puts the ball in the bucket. It's insane. Uh, And that's kind of where I get away from DeRozan, is DeRozan, he settles for jumpers a lot more. Uh, he's, I mean, he's good at it, so I'm not blaming him, but he's more of that kind of guy. RJ Barrett just, like, he has this move. It, it, he already has a patented move, and it's he takes these two, like, long... They're not even Eurostep strides. They're just, like, long-ass strides that the defender's not ready for. It just gets to the rim. He can do it whenever he wants. That's kind of where I get the Wade thing, because Wade was also able to, like, dice to the rim whenever he wanted. And that's kind of where I'm getting that. RJ Barrett is just, he's a savant at scoring around the rim. And that's where I get the Ben Simmons thing when I watch him. It's definitely mm-hmm. the left-handed thing, but it's also those last couple of long strides to get around the defense. I think mm-hmm. TJ Warren is interesting. You know, he's got that, you know, nous to just get the ball in the bucket, but he does it, you know, quite often on short steps and, and kind of just craftiness, whereas RJ Barrett just has that fluidity, that real smoothness going towards the bucket. And that's where I see the, the Ben Simmons stuff stuff for me as you know someone who, who obviously watched a lot of Ben Simmons pre-NBA uh, but my perfect match here is Chicago uh, I think you know I really like what they're building with their Ooh. their bigs but they've obviously signed Zach Levine but you know as a future core going forward I, I really love RJ Barrett as your lead guy and you know surround him with shooters and I think Wendell Carter uh, is a great guy to have at the five and, and then obviously you've got Laurie Markkinen at the four as well so that that would be my perfect match for RJ Barrett man if, if Chicago got RJ Barrett I might have to uh, watch them on League Pass every night that would be <laughs> something to watch man I just I do want to clear up the fact that I don't think RJ Barrett is TJ Warren it's literally just the fact that he can score very well on the rim yeah for sure for sure <laughs> alright let's go on to Cam Reddish who David I know you you really like so let me let you lead on this guy I, I wouldn't say he's my favorite of the three prospects i just think you know with my phoenix suns hat on 
Uh, you're obviously not going to turn down Zion Williamson or, or RJ Barrett. You definitely find a way to fit them into your starting lineup. But I just think kind of fit-wise, uh, particularly if Igor's still the head coach of this team, I just I love Cam Reddish. Player comparison-wise, I've seen anything from Tracy McGrady to Rudy Gay, which is pretty ridiculous. But, you know, I just think he's that kind of multi-positional guy, uh, which Eagle obviously loves. He, he can handle quite a bit as a lead guy. Uh, he's a pretty willing shooter from the outside and, and can kind of guard, you know, one through four from all reports. And that's something I'm, I'm going to keep watch of throughout this season. Obviously, on Duke, he's kind of that third fiddle behind RJ Barrett and Zion. Uh, when I look up negatives of Cam, I see a lot of people just kind of questioning whether he can be a, a lead guy if you're going to take him that high in the draft. But, you know, I think that's why I love him for Phoenix and that's why he's, you know, my perfect match for them because, you know, he wouldn't have to be the lead guy in Phoenix. He could kind of just fill in all the holes and I think that's where a lot of his skills fit, Max. Oh man, we are not agreeing on this one. <laughs> Cam Reddish is a super talent. He's very athletic. He's got great size. He's got incredible skill. I, I'm a little nervous about the fact that Cam Reddish's biggest negatives in high school were that he didn't give a shit. I, I'm nervous about putting more guys on the team who don't give a shit. One of the reasons why I like Zion and RJ so much for the Suns or for, really for anybody is because just you can just watch those guys play and you see them just, they love basketball. They embrace it. They just they just want to be out there and they're just imposing their will they're forceful. The other team, like, just is just getting kind of like run over by them. This is kind of the feeling. And while Cam Reddish was awesome in that game, he had 24 points. He was sick. He was great. He wasn't like part of that same onslaught. It makes me nervous to put another guy in the Suns who's like not necessarily going to develop himself. Who's going to require some like as much as I agree with you, Igor is a good offensive coach. He's a good like you know he's a guy that if the players are listening to him can develop a player. I almost feel like at this point the Suns should just, you know, err on the side of prospects who will develop themselves because Booker's really the only guy who's worked out so far and it's because he developed himself. And that and that's why it, it makes me nervous, Jeff Ken Reddish, who I agree with you is an awesome talent, but who makes me nervous in terms of that kind of that aspect of it. It's an interesting point and you know, we're kind of bringing these guys up for the first time now and I'm sure we're going to touch on them you know throughout the season in in little segments like this so I definitely agree with you on the overarching point of having red flags attached to any prospect that's showing those kind of things and again that's why it's great that we get to watch these guys for a full college season because if he's showing signs of that throughout the season I will definitely be in agreement with you as a potential red flag for him but how about we move on to uh, a non-Duke guy here. Yep, I'll be very quick just with my team for Cam. I, I'll just say Atlanta because Atlanta needs talent and Trey with him would be great. That just makes sense to me. Uh, okay, let's go on to Nazir Little, the UNC forward, who is interesting. I, I just saw my phone. He had He's had like 16 points a half tonight, so he's kind of going off tonight. Uh, he had a little bit more of an understated game to start. He's... He's an interesting player. He's he's a he's a six foot seven wing. If you haven't seen him, he can shoot and a little bit off the dribble. Like his shooting mechanics are really good. Uh, he also like, he has a defensive intensity to him, which is nice. Like he's he's sort of like your prototypical three and D wing. Yeah, who might have more, and that's why he's being talked about in this like high conversation because you know he's going to give you the three and D wing, but he might be more. And the way I kind of describe him. He's like a Justice Winslow who shoots better and can maybe sort of realize what we wanted Justice Winslow to be. That's kind of how I view him. My, my perfect fit for him is Chicago. 
I just think they need a guy who's like a wing size, who's going to be tough on both sides, who can shoot. Just kind of like that do-everything kind of guy, which I think Nasir Little is. So that's my fit for him. David, what do you think? Yeah, I've seen a few people say Jay Crowder with him, which, you know, I don't really see. I really like your Justice Winslow comp, actually. That, that you know, from the, yes. the little that I've seen of him, I think that makes a hell of a lot more sense. I think the Crowder one, it, it kind of touches on what you were saying is, you know, maybe his floor is just a, a nice 3 and D wing in the NBA, but you certainly don't want to be taking a, a guy like you know Jay Crowder at you know potentially four in the draft so you hope he can show a, a little bit more than that I really like him I love his intensity you know we obviously have sun's colored glasses on when we watch these guys and you know we're probably drawn a little bit more to guys like little because of their intensity just because we're you know so used to not seeing it with our NBA team and that's why I'm you know slightly attracted to little uh, my perfect match in the NBA, though, I'm, I'm going to take two here as a bit of a hedge. Uh, I'm going to say Orlando if they're around about this mark because I think he's kind of a Orlando-type player uh, with you know their new philosophy that they're building around length, and uh, I think he would fit in quite well there. Uh, but I'll also throw up if, if Washington does blow it up and they can't get off John Wall's contract, and it's more like Bradley Beal or Otto Porter that goes. I, I don't mind Nasir Little in Washington. Yeah, those both make a lot of sense to me. I think those are both great spots for Nasir Little. All right, let's move on to our last one that we're going to share, and he's a he's an interesting one. He is uh, Manu Bull's son, Bull Bull, seven foot two center, plays for Oregon. I think he has a seven eight wingspan. He's basically like. If you want to picture him, he looks kind of like Mohamed Bamba. A little less lanky in the arms, a little taller, but like he can shoot a little bit. He's a little more coordinated, I guess, than Bamba, but maybe less strong and less big. He, David, I find Bol Bol like, perplexing. I don't know what to think about him, David. What do you think? He's totally perplexing. Uh, first thing I'll say before I jump into him is I need to throw out that more people need to be calling Bol Bol Minute Minute. That should be his nickname, Max, going forward. I don't see any reason why it shouldn't. Uh, so I threw that out on Twitter. But if anyone listening here, I, I like minute, minute. Love it. Thing I've got here, you know, he's the slider for me. You know, I could just see a guy like this falling back in the draft because of, you know, worries about durability, things like that. I don't think he's going to be a real focus of Oregon's offense this season so it'll be interesting to see how he can I guess show what he's going to do in the NBA there's no player comparison for him that which is what you were touching on I think kind of size wise and this is what I was touching on before and kind of measurables wise he he matches up pretty well with say like a Rudy Gobert when he was drafted but they're they're not even close to the same player he can probably have a similar effect on on defense as his ceiling but totally perplexing player and exactly the kind of guy that you you kind of want to get a full college season in to, to see what he is, Max. He looks like the, the prototype of a bust. He just looks like a bust. He just feels like a bust. <laughs> that might tie into my perfect match team. It might be wishful thinking here for me around a bust, but who have you got first, Max? Ooh, we might have the same one. We'll see. Uh, by the way, I have to say real quick, I, my new, my new <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. If you if you had like streakers following, that would have gone like 100,000 likes viral. But uh, Bull Bull for me, we'll see if you the same one. That's interesting. I have Boston with Sacramento's pick. Yep, that's me. Do you have it? Yep, okay. They, they can afford to take a giant risk because who the fuck cares? They're Boston. They have a million good players anyway. Horford's old. Like, get a center in there. Like, why the hell not? Take a home run swing. Also, last point, 
they uh they were reported to love Bamba in the last draft, which who knows if that's true or not, but maybe they're just, they're, they're enamored with freakish <laughs> freakish centers. Yeah, I, I don't want anyone to come at me that's listening uh, to this with with this comparison, but you know when I was thinking of player comparisons, he's kind of got a little bit of Al Horford about him. Now I'm not <laughs> saying that they're the same player, right? But in terms of what Al Horford brings to the Celtics, a little bit of everything, a little bit of passing, a little bit of rim protection can shoot the three that's kind of what bol bol is at absolute ceiling he's going to do one or two of those things maybe potentially better than al horford and, and not have as great an all-round game as al horford who i still think is criminally underrated but you know as you said he's he's aging uh he'll probably go back to the celtics but he's not going to have forever left and in terms of that young core going they've kind of got point guard sorted as long as they re-sign Kyrie, they've got a whole bunch of wings so yeah i think they can they can take the gamble on a guy like Bol Bol. Yeah, that would be a Danny Ainge, uh, for the older listeners, Seinfeld reference, I'm Keith Hernandez moment. <laughs> it's like, whatever, man. I'm Danny Ainge. I can pick whoever I want. That's what that would be. So let's, let's, let's move on. Let's go on to our own personal uh, project, our prospects who we think are, are really good and we want to follow but didn't quite put in the top five. I'll start. Mine's Romeo Langford. Interesting. He's like a shooting guard. I love Indiana University. My dad went there and I follow them. Just love the, love the school. Romeo Langford, to me, looks kind of like a young Ray Allen. Okay. Very athletic, can shoot, shooting guard. He's got 6'5", 6'11", wingspan, like very good size. I think a lot of people who don't like him kind of see him as like a gunner who doesn't do a lot of else. I don't see it that way. I think he's just a really, really good shooter for his age. I think he's just it was the best player ever he was, and that's why he gunned so much. It's kind of surprising athletic. People forget how athletic Ray Allen is, which is how I kind of got the comparison. Like Ray Allen, like early Ray Allen, UConn days, early NBA when he was in the dunk contest. Like that kind of like 6'5 shooting guard who surprises you when he just like dunks on you. Jesus Shuttleworth Ray Allen. Yeah, exactly. Jesus Shuttleworth Ray Allen. That kind of surprising athleticism, I think, is what Romeo's got. I want to follow him because... He's got like that kind of like scoring upside that interesting to me. I like him in Orlando. I think that if they don't get RJ, they'd be the next best thing. Get somebody who can kind of be your primary option on, on the offense. Yeah, the one I'm going to be watching is Siku Dumboya, who's an international prospect, Max. He's, he's 6'9". Uh, out of France. I'm kind of intrigued by this guy. I wouldn't say that I love him as a prospect. Uh, I'm just really intrigued by what he brings. And I think he is kind of the guy that shows the strength of this draft and, and where it drops off. I think the fact that he's around listed in mock drafts, you know, around this at kind of six or seven really shows where the clear drop off is because I don't think, you know, he certainly would have gone six or seven in the draft. That's just gone max. So, you know, I've got Phoenix question mark here for a lot of the reasons that uh, I like Cam Reddish fit wise, but I think, you know, Dimboya is exactly the kind of guy that Phoenix should be, avoiding for for reasons that you mentioned earlier because he's just got red flags all over the place kind of a al farouk aminu type maybe with a, a bit of better feel for the game that's kind of the gist that i get with him um and my perfect match here is atlanta particularly if they manage to fall into dallas's pick and, and have two first I, I could see them taking a, a flyer on a guy like this because he kind of fits a position that they they maybe don't have with that young core around trey and Werder and John Collins and a few others, Prince and, and maybe Spellman to, to add to that as well, Max. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just going to watch him. Yeah, I like him on Atlanta. That's a good one because I think you need to be in a place that like is going to ready to like develop him because 
as far as I can see, he's just, like not very good at basketball, but has like all the physical tools. So he's got to go somewhere where they just like know what he's going to be and they can mold him into it. It's kind of how I see him. Exactly. All right. I think that's it for our little draft segment. That was fun. I enjoyed that. Uh, David, I think it's your turn though for seven seconds or less. Is that right? It is, Max. I'm calling this the Igor's future seven seconds or less. Oh God. We've seen pretty mixed views on his current job security. So I just thought I'd tap into... Uh, yours, and we'll, we'll throw the questions out on Twitter during the week, and we can kind of see how the listeners are feeling as well. But the sun schedule isn't about to let up anytime soon, Max. So I'll run through the next few games, and I want you to say stop when you think the Suns will win their next game. So, okay. at New Orleans, at OKC. Stop. Sorry, I, I said stop, but I don't think that OKC is going to lose. I just want to point out, or OKC is going to lose to the Suns. I just want to point out that OKC is one. At home to the Spurs, at home to OKC again, at Philadelphia, and returning home against Chicago. Stop. We can win that one, right? Yeah, I thought that's where you might say it. So we're currently two and nine. If we win that Bulls game, it will be three and fifteen at that point. So. Max, follow-up question. Does Eagle survive if we don't win any games between now and the Chicago game? Uh, I will answer that in a second. I just want to point out that my prediction before the season, I believe, was that we were 3-15. But, to answer your question, uh, yes. I think Igor is safe until the new year. They won't fire him until the new year, but I think that if he gets... Much into January with this sort of thing going on, yeah, he's he might be gone. That that kind of ties into questions two and three. So from there, things get a little easier, Max. There's another 13 games from the Chicago game until the unofficial trade opening of December 15. So uh, assuming things stay bad, say we're around five and and 23 or something like that. Will the Suns uh, make a trade or fire Igor first in order to try and turn things around? Make a trade. I, th- I think that the Suns are aware of their reputation as being a dumpster fire and are not going to fire their coach if they don't absolutely feel like they have to. Yeah, I- I'd agree with that. And you-, you alluded to that before. So I'll jump into three here. We've said it for a while that total wins didn't matter too much for this season. And as you said, you, you kind of already predicted three and 15, but maybe the games themselves haven't gone quite as we expected from Eagles' standpoint. So assuming he does survive the season out, what are a couple of the things from here that will need to happen uh, for it to, you know, get to the end of the season and and kind of consider the season for Phoenix and for Igor a success, Max? I think the way this season turns into a success, which, by the way, this is going to really exceed seven seconds because this is impossible (laughs) seven seconds. I think the way this season turns into a success, obviously they're not making the playoffs. I mean, no one thinks they're making the playoffs. They need to just uh, get to a point where... Not only are they competing in these games, which they're not doing now, but they need to get to that point. They're competing because the the people who are the future, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Mikel Bridges, in my opinion, the Anthony Melton, uh, Elliot Kobo, all, like, all the guys who are actually going to be a part of this team like the next time they're good, they're the reason why this team is like competitive. I'm not saying they're going to be good or win games, but they just need to... like. Show signs that they're real basketball players on a real basketball team. Even even like the Boston game last night, if we have like a ton of those games, that'd be awesome. And guess what, David? If the Boston game had been like the, the way we were losing every of these games, it would have been not a problem. That's great. The problem is we had all the blowout losses and then the Boston game. But if we just get a bunch of like fun games where we're losing, that's a win. 
that's a win because we can be happy about what we're doing. We're building something. We can get a good draft pick out of it too because we're not winning games. We're just being close in games. And to me, that's that's how this season turns into a win. It's that this team's like just starting to show some life. And at the same time, like we're still kind of bad, so we can get RJ or Zion. Like that's how I'll get like bought back into this. Uh, but if we keep getting blown out, David, that's 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 just sad. Yeah, I think that's all fans wanted when the season started. I think the the blowouts have really changed the the kind of overall perceptions of fans, at least that I'm seeing. So, uh, yeah, I think you said it perfectly. He was he was kind of hired and and mentioned as a uh, development coach. So it, it, a lot of it's going to be tied to the development of these young guys uh, with him going forward, Max. But yeah, uh, a, an extended seven seconds or less there. I think we can finish the episode there. So as always, you can follow us. I'm Max MCC11 on Twitter. David is at the Four Point Play on Twitter. Our podcast is at Seven SOL Pod on Twitter. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Like it actually really helps us if you review. We haven't gotten a review in a while, so I'm gonna say this right now. We have 38 reviews. The 39th review will read live on air, and we'll attribute it to you, and we'll love you forever. We'll give you all the props. Uh, you can ask us a question. We'll answer it. Just the 39th review, that's an important review for us, David. How do you feel about that? Yeah, they just can't talk about our pronunciations or else they're definitely not getting read out on the next episode, Max. Yeah, if you even like so much suggest the word pronunciation or our pronunciations, you will not be read out. That is for sure. That's the one thing on this podcast. We don't ban anything on this podcast, David. The one thing we ban is pronunciation talk. Exactly. But as you said, Max, this was a fun one. And hang in there, Suns fans. I think things are going to click really soon and we'll have some... Uh, more discussion about the games and and hopefully some fun Phoenix basketball, Max. Yep, totally agree. Till next time, guys.